is presented to you by Pastor Otis Barnett and Calvary Church in Inverness, Florida. For more information, please visit InvernessCalvary.com. Today I want to share a message called Prisoners of Hope. Prisoners of Hope. You see, in 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us that there are some things that are going to pass away when Jesus returns. Uh, you know, prophecy, for instance. We won't need to prophesy anymore in the presence of G Jesus. We will be fully known, fully aware. It says knowledge will cease. I mean, that we will completely know. We won't be gaining knowledge anymore because we will be in the presence of God. And He will fill our minds with truth and life. However, there are these three things which will remain. That means we can operate in them in this age and also after Christ's return. Those three things are faith, hope, and love. So we get to practice a little on this side of Jesus returning, of walking in these things. And I believe that if we'll learn how to lay hold of these three concepts, we will expand the kingdom righteously. That means in a way that pleases God. These are kingdom principles that we need to employ. And they describe how the kingdom is to operate. I guess if I were to, to describe this, this uh, message uh, and give it a subtitle, the subtitle of this message would be Prophetic Ramblings with Pastor Honest. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I've been in the mountains, I've been on vacation, and these things tend to just stir in you. I, I went to a, a, a church service, you know, which was glorious. It was awesome, off the charts church service there um, at, at a church, and, you know, they didn't let me preach. So I, I was like really stirred up and no outlet, you know, and so... But today, I want to give you a prophetic message. And, and that means that you're going to have to, to hear not only with these ears, but with spiritual ears. And I want to share with you this message. And it, we'll, we'll probably touch on some things that fly in the face, uh, kind of the opposite direction of the way we have typically believed. And so, uh, I want you to turn in your Bible to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. A little background on the book of Zechariah. Zechariah was actually a contemporary of Haggai the prophet. This is after the exile. So, so the, the children of Israel have been carried away, and now they've been released, and now they have an assignment. The assignment is to rebuild the temple. And uh, they, they started in this process and have grown a little bit discouraged in the process. And, and so uh, Haggai and uh, 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 Zechariah are contemporaries. That means that they are both prophets at the same time. And so in this time where they are a little bit discouraged in the process of fulfilling God's call on their life, these verses erupt. These are powerful verses that I'm going to share with you today from Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah is actually, uh, as, as uh, prophetic goes, uh, 
Um, he is quoted uh, uh, more than any prophet in the book of Revelation except for Ezekiel. And so there, there's very, very much, he's a powerful man of God. He got powerful insights. And so I want you to understand the prophetic nature of this, that what I'm about to release to you is not only timely for them, but it will be timely for our church right now. Zechariah chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, release to us the Holy Spirit to give us revelation. Lord, I don't want to say anything, God, that you're not saying. Speak to us by the Spirit so that we walk in what you're calling us to walk in in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This begins with a, a, a powerful statement. It says, because of the blood of your covenant. This, this actually sets the stage for the message that's coming. He says, the, the, since you are in covenant with God, a covenant is a strong struck agreement. In Hebrew, the word covenant means to cut, to etch, that it is set in stone. And so he says, because of the blood of your covenant, let me say it to you this way, who now live in the age of grace, in the age of uh, after Christ has given his life on the cross, because of your covenant with God and what Jesus has done for you on the cross. This is how you need to view this. Because of what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross, I will set your prisoners free from a waterless pit. Because of your blood covenant with God. Listen, there are people who are about to be set free into their destiny. What story do you remember of a person of destiny that ended up in a pit? That's a story of Joseph. That's exactly right. And his brothers became jealous of him because God revealed that you have a destiny and you are literally going to be a rescuer to your family. And they will come and they will bow down and, and they, they will need you to feed them. And his brothers got wind of it and cast him into a pit. Supposing even to kill him, so, and God moved on the heart of one of the brothers and said, listen, we, we cannot do this. We can't just leave him there. Then they sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt, uh, becomes uh, you know, second in command after going through a lot of different things. And then eventually a famine drives his family to the feet of Joseph. And he fulfills his destiny. So before we get to the content, I feel as if the Lord has said that there are people of destiny who've been in 
some waterless pits lately. You've been in waterless places. Now let me explain to you what a waterless pit is. A waterless pit is a, a dry place that you cannot escape. A dry place that you cannot escape. So when I am walking out of the office this morning and it's raining. It wasn't raining when I got here. It was raining as I was coming in for first service. I'm like, God, you're bringing some people out of a dry place that they've been stuck in. You see, in the scripture, every time water is mentioned, it's symbolic. John chapter 7, verse 37, 38, Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Jesus spoke this concerning the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given. Why? Because Christ was not yet glorified. He says there's a river of presence that is coming to those who have been stuck in a dry place. You are coming out of a dry pit. God is calling you out. He says, because of the covenant you have with God through Jesus, I am pulling you out of a dry place. You are not going to stay stuck in that dry pit. I just want to tell you, you know, in the scriptures, you know, I don't know why demons love dry places. Just what Jesus said. He said, man, when the demons cast out, they go to dry and arid places, seeking rest. Which actually makes the time when Jesus cast out the legion of demons into pigs and they ran into water kind of comical. which tells us a story. Water deals with demonic activity. God's presence in your life can set you free from the demons who have been tormenting you in your dry place. Amen. This is just the preamble, folks. This is really all about hope. <laughs> this is about hope. He says... Return to your stronghold is the next instruction. I'm pulling the prisoners out of the dry place. I'm watering your soul by the Spirit. And then he says this, return to your stronghold. Uh, 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 most commentators would believe that that is actually talking about the place of Jerusalem called Zion. And uh, it's, a, it's the, the stronghold, the, the one that, that David had to go in and kick the Jebusites out of. He had to go and, and remove them from the stronghold. And the, this is saying, he said, listen, come out of the dry place and return to the stronghold. What do you believe is that, that actual place of stronghold. The stronghold is the place of God's presence. It is the place where God's people gather around his presence and they stand together. He says, return to the stronghold of God's presence. Make it preeminent of your life. Make God the stronghold. He says, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. You prisoners of of hope. That is so powerful 
that in the Spirit, believers, those who are in covenant with God, have a chain with a large ball called hope that they cannot escape. They take it everywhere with them. Hope. Biblical believers are prisoners of hope. Well, what is hope? Hope is simply defined as this, the joyful anticipation that good is coming. It is this joyful anticipation that good is coming. The word uh, in, in, that's used here in Zechariah is this word, uh, tikva. It's, it's a powerful word. Listen to some of these descriptions. It means, uh, of course, hope. It means expectation. Something yearned for and anticipated eagerly. Something for which one waits. Uh, tikva comes from the verb uh, kava, meaning to wait for or to look hopefully in a particular direction. Its original meaning, its original meaning was uh, to stretch like a rope. Have you ever heard the statement that that is said? Uh, I'm, I'm holding the other end of the rope. And so, so people say that when they're they're interceding or they're praying for somebody. Well, what's the rope attached to? It's attached to God. Or attached to that favorable situation that they're trying to draw in. The word tikva, that is translated hope, is a rope you hold on to. Uh, the exact word was given to Rahab. Rahab was the one that the spies came to. And she had a hotel of sorts. And because of her, her, her repentance, because of her heart, because she knew that God was about to do something very destructive, she knew she needed God's mercy. And this is what instruction Rahab got. Out of your window hang a scarlet tikva. A scarlet rope. Let me say it to you another way. Rahab was saved from the judgment of God because of a red, blood-washed, hope-filled expression. Hoping that the God who made her a promise is faithful to complete it. You see, when I say the word hope, many of you think the word wish, but biblically, hope has nothing to do with wishing and everything to do with knowing the character of God and the nature of God and the goodness he will release to his people who walk in covenant with him. She had a covenant, a blood covenant rope of hope. Tikva. And 
I believe God wants to release Calvary as prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. Listen, this is the one point. I'm going to give it to you in the way that I wrote it, but I kind of want you to write it down in the first person. This is the one point today. Hope is my world view. Hope is my world view. It says our, collectively, I want you to put my, if you're taking notes, because you need to prophesy to yourself. Hope is my worldview. Hope is the lens through which we view both circumstances and the future because God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful. This is the way we must view life, view circumstances. You, you may say, well, I'm just a, a realist. I'm just a little more subdued by nature. I am just a little more pessimistic by nature. I've got good news. If you've been born again, you've been given a new nature that gets to operate like Jesus operated in the earth. Full of faith, full of hope, and full of love. You can be filled with hope, not wishing, especially for the wrong things, filled with hope in a God who is faithful to bring every promise to pass. Listen to what David, King David said in Psalm 27, verse 13, which is just an amazing uh, 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 chapter all about overcoming fear. He says, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He said, I would have lost heart if I only thought I was going to see God's goodness on the other side. Hope is not only connected to the other side. It is connected to this side. And you need to believe that you're going to see the goodness of God on this side. And then David says how to do it. He says, wait for it. By the way, that's the same language connected to that Hebrew word. Of waiting and being encouraged in who God is. Many of you are probably familiar with Corey Ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian during the time of the Nazis. And her family was rescuing Jews and she was sent to a horrific, horrific concentration camp and there watched her sister die under what, all kinds of extreme circumstances and then miraculously uh, was released. Horrific circumstances. And Corey made some amazing, amazing statements I think that we could draw some wisdom from. She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. I'm telling you, that is hope. That is hope. 
That when you start going through a dark hour, it is not time to abandon your relationship with God. It is time to lift your eyes to heaven and say, God, I don't know where this train is going, but I'm not getting off. I'm on all the way. All the way to the end. And I know that you're going to bring the light of an answer into my life because you are faithful. And you are a God that cannot lie. Our life is to be filled with biblical hope. A few months ago, the Lord uh, just instructed me to go back to the book of Ruth. And I want to show you an example of biblical hope. It blew my mind when the Lord, when the Lord uh, revealed it to me. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, we find out that there was a man named Judah. It was during the time when the judges ruled and there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, they went to Moab because of a famine. They left Bethlehem because of a famine. While they were in Moab, they took a Moabitess' wife and Ruth, whom this whole story is legitimately about. She's from Moab outside of the people of God. But what I want you to see is there was a famine in Bethlehem. Now, verse 6 says, Then she, Naomi, after her husband and both of her sons died in Moab, she arose and her daughter-in-law that that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. She's like, I need to go back to Bethlehem because God is blessing Bethlehem. This sounds, all of this sounds amazing and very practical. But then I notice what Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 says. It says, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And the Lord showed me there were people who stayed in Bethlehem during the famine. Not only were there people who stayed in Bethlehem during the famine, there were people extremely blessed and exceedingly wealthy in Bethlehem who stayed. I I, I, want to say this. God takes us all on stories and journeys in our life. But there were people who stayed in Bethlehem and said, famine's not going to move me. Famine is not going to move me. I believe God will bless me here. Why would you stay in Bethlehem in a famine because you know what the name of the city means. 
Bethlehem means house of bread. And here Boaz finds himself in a place named house of bread in the middle of the famine. What do you hold on to when you're in a place that has a name that doesn't match your circumstances? You become a prisoner of hope. You say that God who placed a name on this place, Bethlehem, that God who named this place will be the God who is faithful to the promise of this place. That Bethlehem will be a house of bread. Therefore, I will stay. I will not be moved because this is a house of bread, famine or no famine. And Boaz was so blessed that when Ruth showed up, he had more than enough finance to bless her and bring her into the family. And ultimately, he wasn't just blessing Ruth, he was blessing Christ. Because Ruth got grafted in and through her came Christ. I'm telling you, David's daddy came through Ruth, who was blessed by a man named Boaz, who was filled with hope, who believed God's promise over a city more than he believed the circumstances the city was in. And God wants to make us prisoners of hope. So that the the circumstances that we find ourselves in become subject to us. And to God. A few years ago, I began to ask God. I was always, I always believed that there was a destiny on this region and this house, but I've just begun to investigate it a little bit. I said, "Lord, you need to show me why you want to move here. What? Why do I believe that God has called Calvary a regional center of awakening?" Why do I feel like that's one of those titles that you, you, you place on us and that if we would believe, we would see people born again every single week and that we would see people genuinely encounter you and people whose lives are transformed and people who are genuinely launched in their calling. Why, why would you do that here? Well, I begin to look into Inverness. Inverness years ago was named Tompkinsville. It's actually man, named after, I believe his name was Al Tompkins. And he, he wanted to bring business here, uh, a sawmill. And so he just kind of wanted to develop the area. Well, as the story goes, and I don't know how much of this is legend and how much is actually actual history, but there was someone visiting from Scotland who stood on the shores of the Salapopka chain and looks out at the lake and says, this reminds me of Inverness, Scotland. And they named, renamed the place Inverness. So, I was really stunned to find out that the name Inverness means mouth of the river. And I sort of scratched my head at that 
because the mouth of the river is actually on the coast. And I don't know if you know anything about Inverness, it's a little bit landlocked. So if we're not the mouth of the river physically, then maybe every time you say Inverness, he's saying, you are saying that this place is the mouth of God's river spiritually. The mouth of the river is the place where the influence of the river is widest and greatest in scope and influence. And if you could dare to believe that Inverness could be the mouth of God's river in this region, if you could stop trying to escape Citrus County... Some of you have tried and failed, <laughs> and you're back. <laughs> Some of you need to say, this place, I'm going to get hold of this rope called hope that's attached to a God that is faithful to every promise and I'm going to stand in this place and I'm going to believe in this place until every promise comes to pass. Hope is our worldview and God will be faithful. There may be those who go calling this place a famine, but I promise you they will be back when God starts to bless Inverness with his presence, with a move of God. When God comes and moves in power, businesses spring up. School systems change. Churches come alive. People will travel night and day to be in the presence of the God. And if you can believe, God will do it here if you'll become a prisoner of hope. Years ago, about 10 years ago, begin to hear the leaders of Bethel Church begin to make this statement. It comes from a woman named Olivia Shoup, and she's the founder of Raising Tomorrow's Leaders. And they work out of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And she came out of a time of prayer, and she said, the Lord said this, the people with the most hope have the most influence. The people with the most hope have the most influence. And if that is true, the people with the least amount of hope are lonely. Because no one is following them. Because no one wants to pull in what they're believing for, which is destruction, dismay, despair. People who are filled with hope are the people who will influence and change the world. We are called to be people filled with hope. There's, there's so much truth in all of this. There's so, so, it's, 
It's, it's amazing when you begin to look at hope in the scriptures. You find out uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus is our hope. You, you find out about hope, and we'll probably share about this next week, Hebrews chapter 6. You find out that hope is actually the anchor of our soul. But I, I want to talk to you, just, just finish up with this last statement about hope being our worldview and how you begin to walk in it. And it's a little opposite of the way that we think. And found in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, and it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'm not going to share on that. That would be an entire sermon just on that. And not only that, listen to this, and not only that, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. When you come upon something that you are not doing in the Scriptures, like this, God is setting you up for a harvest. It says, but we also glory in tribulations, and we're going to work at that, look at that word, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I want you to really look and kind of focus in on verse 8. It says, we also glory in tribulations. This, this word tribulations in the Greek is thalipsis. It is the idea of taking something that is completely free in nature. Think marbles. Uh, maybe, maybe a better analogy. Think grapes. Olives, they're free, they're round, they roll all over the place. But Philipsis puts them between two very firm objects and begins to press. When we think of tribulation, we do, think, we do not think anything good. We're like, I don't want anything to do with that. Romans chapter 5 says, good is coming because without Philipsis, tribulations, you don't go through the process of actually giving birth to perseverance, of actually, I am going to keep hoping, I am going to keep believing, no matter what is pressing in on me, I am going to be pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned. And without us going through that, we will not then, from perseverance, develop character, which means the ability to bear up under pressure. And it is that character from which hope comes alive. So look at this. Tribulations produce hope. And look at what the verse says. This is so good. It says, and hope does not disappoint. I heard all my life from grandmas with every last name. Don't get your hopes up too high now. Don't want you to be disappointed. Grandma, would have, she, might, she might have been nice, but she was theologically inaccurate. Because hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Now, if you think hope means wish, you, you'll be disappointed. 
Some of y'all wishing for stuff that's out of your league. 16-year-olds in Ferraris. and No. Out of your league. 15 years old and want to be in a serious relationship. That is a wish. You will be disappointed. That is not biblical hope. Totally forgotten what I was saying. I heard all my life, don't get your hopes up, you'll be disappointed. And yet the scripture clearly says hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. How many of us have had promises made over our life? Maybe it was when you were 6 or 16 or 18 or 25 or 45 and you had these promises and you felt like it was going to happen. You start going through the press and you wonder, God, is that ever going to happen? And you just lay that thing down and you walk away from it. I am telling you, let's all become prisoners of hope and go back to every promise that God has ever promised in his word and by his spirit to us and let's lay hold of it and walk in it and hold the rope and say God I joyfully expect your goodness will come into my life no matter how you're going to answer this prayer I know you're going to answer it some of you guys got big things you're praying for you got oak tree answers you're trying to get from God you just don't like it when he gives you an acorn You want harvest with no process. And so when you start, oh, you start standing in hope and God gives you an acorn, you're like, I was asking for a tree. Could be that some of you are in a dry pit today holding the answer already. Because there's no hope watering the seed God gave you. says hope doesn't disappoint because when you're standing in hope it says the love of God pours over your heart the love of God pours over your heart again and again not love for God the love of God the love he has towards you he says you're in hope you're believing in me and you're standing on my promises you're joyfully expecting that good is going to come God pours his love on you. He pours it on you. Some of us have been absent of experiencing the love of God because we haven't been walking in biblical hope. Because the, remember, these all three, they all work together, faith, hope, and love. We found out in the book of Colossians, it's everything is faith working by love. These things all work together. And so, man, you want to stand in hope. You're like, God, I believe. I believe I'm going to see your goodness in the land of the living, God. I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to wait on you, God. And you're going to answer. You know what God says? Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm going to pour out my love on your heart. 
It's the love of God shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Tribulations begin the process that leads to hope in the believer. And in the midst of tribulation, that hope is nourished by the love of God through the presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives. We should be, as a church, so convinced of the goodness of God that biblical hope fills our world view. Please do not take your worldview from news organizations. None of them. Not even Fox is operating in hope. You do not take your cues from news networks. You become a prisoner of hope because you belong to him. And because of the blood covenant we have with God through his only son, Jesus Christ, I'm delivered out of a waterless pit. And I get to live in the stronghold of his presence, a prisoner of hope. And you can too. The hope of Christ that fills us and the lifestyle that follows will build a platform for the gospel in every area of influence. Listen to that. The hope of Christ that fills us and the lifestyle that follows will build a platform for the gospel in every area of influence. I believe if we as a church would start to operate in biblical hope, God would open doors to us in the school systems. God will open doors to us in the government. God will open doors to us in the community. Why? Because people who are filled with hope will always be an influence for Christ. Amen. That's what God is calling us to, church. To become prisoners of hope. I hope you've enjoyed this message from Calvary Church. For more information on this message or to listen to other teachings, visit us at InvernessCalvary.com. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more through our website or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and God bless.